I don't, I don't know everything about every person in this room. But I do know that you need love. And you need it because God created you in this way. Love is a deep need that all of us have. And it's one reason that, that most of us can remember fairly easily a time when we were loved really well. It's also the reason that many of us carry scars from the times that we were not loved well, especially by people that were put in our lives to love us well. Maybe a parent, a spouse, an ex-spouse, a close friend. Love is a deep need. To be loved is a deep need that's within all of us because this is the way God has created us. God has created us as relational beings God in and of himself is a relational being. The way in which the Father, God the Father relates to God the Son, and God the Son relates to God the Holy Spirit. We are made in the image of God as people who have a need for love. Here's the thing about love in our day. The meaning has gotten lost. Rather than understanding love as something with boundaries and responsibility, We live in a day where many think that the most loving thing you can do is erase all boundaries and ignore responsibility. So my intent in this series is to lead you to listen to God's word so that all of us can become better lovers. I really think it's going to be fun. Today, I want to begin with A truth about love that will absolutely transform your life. Of all the messages that I'm going to give about love, if you don't get this one, you will not fully comprehend the rest. Here it is. God loves you. That's the big idea this morning. God loves you. God loves you deeply. The kind of love that God has for you is dynamic and mysterious and will not run out. There's no place in all of the world in any other kind of relationship with any person or anything that will fill or replace this kind of love. Nowhere. God loves you. How do I know this? The Bible tells us. Raise your hand if you want to sing a song with me. Raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Do you know the song, Jesus Loves Me? Oh, Lord. Jeannie, I'm sorry. I'm about to embarrass you. Let's sing this song together. If you don't, it's okay. Just just say watermelon, watermelon over and over. That's what you do when you don't know the song. All right. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak. That he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. This song is so simple and so true. God loves you. 
This is a song we sing every night to our children because as I think about what is the most important thing I want setting in their little pea brains right before they go to sleep, I want them to know certainly that Jeannie and I love them deeply. We care for them. We hug them and kiss them. But what I want them to know is that God loves them so much. This is what I want you to understand today. In Ephesians chapter 2, we have what some have said is the most important 10 verses in all the Bible. The Apostle Paul is writing to the fledgling church in Ephesus. In the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, he is describing to them things about God that are true related to who God is, who they are, who they are apart from Christ, who they are in Christ. He's helping them to understand and meet the substance of the gospel. We have here in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, uh, actually 1 through 7 is one long sentence, which is really interesting. In the original language, it's one long sentence. So there's one big idea being carried here. So I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to help you to understand what it means. Verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, and the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, everybody say, but God. Being rich in mercy. This turn, these two words, are, are it's like going... A hundred miles in one direction and immediately turning in the opposite direction. I mean, it is so abrupt. It is so stunning what Paul is saying here about what God has done. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. I want you to understand this. Because of love, God is doing something. God is working. God is the subject of this text. He's the one initiating movement in this text. He's not asking people to do anything in this truth. He's saying, Paul is saying, God has done something and it's because of his love. He's done something to people because people are the object of God's love here. So God is the subject. The people are the object. In fact, the way in which it's written, it's called an emphatic subject. And so it wants us to see that God is, is really doing something. He's really doing something to people, human beings, to people like you and me. God has done something here. He has demonstrated his great love. The word love here, you might know its form agape. It comes from the verb similar to the word agape that means to seek the highest good in the one loved. So God is doing something in human beings to seek their highest good, to bring out the best in them. But to appreciate what he's doing in them, before we look at that, we have to understand where we are apart from God's love. 
verses 1 through 3 describe people who are not living in the presence of God's love as dead. Dead. This is why Paul is not telling people they have to do something here because people that are separated from God are dead. Dead people can't do anything for themselves. They are described here as dead. And dead people, according to Paul, follow the course of the world. That's what it says there. You once walked following the course of this world. What does it mean to follow the course of this world? Well, it means that we're led not by God, but by, by the world, by peer pressure. And what is the cultural norm? What is everybody accepting or doing? That's what we're led by. We're copying others. We're never wanting to stand out or stand on our own. We gotta go with the flow. That's what it means to follow the course of this world. People that are dead spiritually also follow the prince of the power of air. I mean, that sounds freaky, right? That is the devil. People who are dead spiritually follow the devil, whether or not they realize it. Whether or not they would admit it. They're submitting to the spirit who works in the sons of disobedience. This is the behavior of dead people. The first three verses of chapter two of Ephesians present a hopeless picture of an unregenerate person who deserves nothing but God's wrath. I mean, this this is kind of hard to hear, right? People that are separated from God because of their sin are spiritually dead, not experiencing his love, are enemies of God and deserve God's wrath. But God, you see, when God gets moving, when God starts working, something happens. When God's love begins to enter into a person who is spiritually dead, something happens. Actually, three somethings, according to Paul. Look there in verse five. We were dead in our trespasses, but something happens here. Three things. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Three things are happening here. First of all, when God's love affects us, enters into our heart, we're made alive. We're made alive. We're made spiritually alive. When God comes into our life and we hear of his love and we experience God's forgiveness of our sins because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross so that our sins can be erased. We are made alive. I know a lot of people that are breathing, but I know very few people that are really alive. You know what I'm saying? I don't know about you, but I want to live a life that's alive and robust and filled with hope and meaning and purpose. A spiritually dead person cannot do that. And it is through faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross to die for our sins that we become alive. There is no other way. One book that I'm reading is a part of this 
sermon series to prepare my heart, to tenderize my heart for God's word is a book by a guy by the name of Bob Goff. And he, he writes this book called Love Does, and it's really an easy read. I would encourage you to pick it up. Lots of stories. Here's what he says regarding the work of God to love us through Christ. But the kind of love that God created and demonstrated is a costly one because it involves sacrifice and presence. It's a love that operates more like a sign language than being spoken outright. You see, God didn't just say, hey, I love you. God demonstrated his love by sending his only son to die on a cross. And in a mysterious exchange, our, and through faith, our sin goes to him, his righteousness comes to us so that we can be born again and experience God's love. That's the gospel. That is good news. We've been made alive together with Christ. And then there's this phrase that Paul uses, by grace you have been saved. Now this is interesting because you can miss this in the English. In the Greek, it's what's called a perfect tense participle, which means there's a past completed action with continuing effects. And so what it means is that in Christ, you are saved fully, finally, completely. Through faith, your sin is erased, you're counted as righteousness, or as righteous, you can experience God's love. But there's this continuing effect on our life where God is saving us. So we've been saved, we're being saved, and thank God there'll be a day where we'll be finally and fully saved. We've been made alive together with Christ, it's by grace we've been saved. Also, Paul says, we've been raised up with him. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead, we were raised up into a new life also. We are a new creation, even in this life. I mean, we're not finally and fully resurrected, but spiritually speaking, we get to live a new life. No longer do you have to be slaves to sin. Now you get to be a slave to righteousness and obedience to God. No longer do you have to stand as an enemy of God, but now you're a friend of God. No longer are you an object of God's wrath, but now you're an object of God's blessings. This is good. This is the effect of God's love on us. This is the gospel. Also, Paul says that we've been seated with him. Because of God's love demonstrated to us through Jesus Christ, We've been seated with him. We are spiritually positioned with Jesus in heaven. Now, this is kind of like a mind-blowing kind of idea, but this is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our inheritance awaits us whenever our days on earth are done. We're seated with Christ, spiritually speaking. In fact, Peter says that in this life, we are like aliens. We're like strangers. You see, the love of God is working, is doing something, is pursuing you. God loves you deeply. He loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son to die on a cross so that you can be reconciled to him. And if you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ, then you are guaranteed righteousness. You're guaranteed a life of experiencing God's love. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. God has done something. 
Isn't that good news? For us to understand, as we unpack it in the next few weeks, what it means to love another person, to love other people in the church, to love um, the poor, the marginalized, to love our spouse, for us to understand what it means to love people that hate us, we must first and foremost receive God's love for us. Have you done that? Maybe you're here and you've never received God's love for you. You've never really heard that God loves you so much that he's made a way for what separates you to be erased. Today's the day where you can accept it. You say, that sounds so simple. There's nothing I have to do to earn God's love. There's nothing you could do. The Old Testament is 1,500 years or more of a group of people trying to do what they could do in their own strength to earn the merit of righteousness, to earn God's love. But they couldn't do it. They had everything they needed. They had the list of rules. They couldn't do it. Which is why Jesus needed to come. This is why we needed a Messiah. Which is why we turn to Jesus and not ourselves for salvation. This is good news. And it's all because God is working to demonstrate his love in your life. Will you accept it? Most of the people that come here, even for those that haven't been in a church in a while, have had a church experience of some sort. And so it's difficult sometimes as the gospel's being preached is for you to think past all the layers of complexity that have been built up over your life because of the different churches you've been a part of. Maybe you've been in a church that said one thing and behaved in a different way. Maybe you were in a church where somebody did something to you that they should have been a person representing love, but instead it was hatred or, or some sort of, um, they give preferential treatment to somebody else. So whatever it is, you've got some junk and mess in your life. Can you just for a moment, just think past that and accept the fact that God loves you. He loves you deeply. He wants you to walk in and experience that love. So here's what you do. God, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I'm separated from you. I want to accept your love by placing my faith in Jesus Christ. I want to begin this new life of walking in your love. That's what has to happen in your heart for you to be what's called born again into this new life. Some of you are already there and you're saying, well, what's in it for me? Like, what, what does this mean for me? My question for you is, will you choose to grow in God's love? Will you choose to grow in God's love? I have to confess something. You know, part of the reason I'm preaching this series is because what I recognize in my own heart is a struggle to love at times. And the reason I start out with this message about receiving God's love is because there are seasons where I struggle to really sense God's love for me. And maybe I'm alone there. And so over the next course, the next few weeks, just come here and listen to me preach this sermon series to myself. That's okay. But maybe not. Maybe there are some of you in here that in your mind you know God loves you because it's a truth of scripture, but in your heart you don't feel loved. 
what I'm asking you to do is to walk with me and to join me in asking God, help us to more fully understand how deeply he loves us. And it begins with us hearing the gospel and preaching the gospel to ourselves over and over and reminding ourselves that we were dead, worthless. But God, because of his love, raised us from the dead spiritually and has given us a new life. And not only that, but he counts us worthy of some good works in this life. God has prepared some good things in this life for us to do. Some ways in which we get to love other people as a response to the way in which God has loved us. My question for you is, will you grow in it? Now, there's some work that has to be done. If you choose to join me in growing in love, there's, there's some hard work that we must do. We must, we must admit the times in our life that we've not been loved well. You know what I mean? Because oftentimes that keeps us from experiencing the love of another person or maybe the love of the Lord. So here's a little bit of homework for you. I want you sometime this week to spend some time journaling, spend some time writing, maybe talking to your spouse with this question in mind. What are ways throughout your life, two or three ways, where you feel like you were not loved well by someone who should have? I want to lead you through this process, and I have myself sought out a mentor, somebody who's leading me through this process. What are ways in your life that you've not been loved well? Has it been by a parent? And no parent loved their children perfectly, so it's okay. Is it by a spouse? What are ways in which you've not been loved well and would you just kind of get those and then consider how has that affected your ability to accept and receive God's love? So here we begin in this series, but I believe it all begins with us receiving God's love as we've heard the gospel today. I'm gonna close with this quote by Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Would you just close your eyes and bow your heads? I'm going to read this quote and then I'm going to pray. It is the grace of the gospel which is so hard for the pious to understand that confronts us with the truth and says, you are a sinner, a great, desperate sinner. Now come as the sinner that you are to God who loves you. He wants you as you are. He does not want anything from you, not a sacrifice, not a work. He wants you alone. God has come to love the sinner. Be glad. This is the liberating truth of the gospel. The mask you wear before men will do you no good before God. He wants you to come as you are. He wants to love you well.